This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial-grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and I have the honor to talk to... Peter Sieber, good morning, good afternoon, good, good night, um, day, wherever you are. You you recorded a very interesting episode with two guys from SAIS. Right. They will explain how they use machine learning for their optics, right? It was optics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the uh, the optics division. Yeah. Okay, but but first we have the news part. I will start with the news today, but um, by the way, you were at the chess tournament. How was it? <laughs> was I? Oh, it was very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, like many people, maybe also some of our listeners, although it's they are separate topics, but then many times chess and artificial intelligence, they kind of overlap. And sure. uh, I, as so many others, uh, what was the, the movie was called Queen's Gambit. I don't yeah. know if you've seen it. Was that a year ago? And I think, and that's what they were explaining. So you can, they teach chess online, but this single time there was this, this young grandmaster and German guy, Hushi, Hushenbit. And it was very interesting. And, and yet to, to, to bring the combination to our podcast, whatever chess you play today, unless you do it over the board, you know, without any electronics, AI is always the, let's say, the golden standard. It's always showing and deciding which of the two, you know, black or white, you know, is winning. And that is for everybody, you know, including the top world players, you know, the number one world player. You know, none of us will ever win again, you know, against uh, artificial intelligence chess engine. So, yeah, bottom line, very interesting to be with human beings, though, again, although I do like playing against uh, chess bots as well. So that's another piece of artificial intelligence, which try to become human. We'll talk a little bit about this later on as well, I believe. But for me, it was very interesting and good to see um, humans playing chess. Let's start with our industrial AI part. I have a very interesting project I found at the University of Hamburg. It's a project engineering for AI-based automation in virtual and real production environments. Mm-hmm. It's um, by DTEC and by Professor Oliver Niggemann, Professor Alexander Frey. They wrote it's making initial progress. And as a part of the project, an open, expandable engineering platform is being developed that enables the integration of AI in engineering. The partner in this project is Weidmüller. We already talked with the Weidmüller guys about the auto ml tool but i think that that's a very interesting approach because we have had it before that engineering is a very big challenge and um when dealing with ai in industrial processes so i will put the the whole paper from from oliver niggemann mm-hmm. in the show notes and uh, the listeners can read the paper it's very interesting this project okay. ai based automation in virtual and real production environments maybe yeah. you want to ask uh, oliver uh, he was in our show before professor niggemann yes. um maybe you want to ask him sometime to yeah sure to explain the, the these yeah. uh, for, i think it's very interesting because it's an open maybe it's an open source project expandable mm. engineering platform i think that's could be very, very interesting. 
Yeah, combination of artificial intelligence with and in embedded into engineering. Very yeah. important. Because it's very, very difficult, I think. You can have uh, some some co proof of concept, but to, to bring the AI in real time uh, it's very difficult in the in the industrial field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know my my hypothesis that you know whatever we're going to include embed artificial intelligence into you know automation systems and you know our complete world of automated systems today is rules based. You know, mm -hmm. from coffee machines to airplanes to whatever. Yeah. And my, my hypothesis is we're going to embed include artificial intelligence into these systems but on the outside where you know where the, the the rubber meets the road so to say i think we're always gonna keep you know rules-based you know kind of uh control controls yeah mm -hmm. basically controls because you know we cannot leave the final decision you know does the plane go up or down or left or right <laughs> as an example we cannot i believe that's my hypothesis we cannot believe leave that to the artificial intelligence we always need rule-based uh, checks if whatever we have learned better than before from Uh, embedded artificial intelligence if it makes sense what it is proposing to us so. sure my second uh, news is today the public hearing on the european ai act is taking place in the mm. in the german parliament oh, wow. and uh, i read an article in uh, the tagesspiegel background um, mm -hmm. and there are eight experts that are giving their opinion on the certain draft most of them criticize the underlying ai definition saying it's too general <laughs> and what i miss in the article by by the colleagues is the industry is missing there's really? no person talking for the industry i i wrote an article with the co colleagues from applied ai in munich we have to invite somebody from from applied ai i think to talk about the okay. ai act and the discussion because uh, mm. it's very very important for the european union I was yeah. going to ask if if you had recognized if we know any of these people that are talking yep. there today, but yep. it's not no. nobody from industry. You say it's algorithm watch there. Okay, um, some some unions and mm. there's a AI association of of Germany, but mm. there's no industry. Yeah? Yeah, well, there's no VDMR, so the German VDMA. Association for in the Machine article, Building. In the article, I must, uh, maybe they're in the hearing, yeah. but yeah, in yeah. the article, they, they're play. They yeah, yeah, I understand, I understand, yeah. Because, I mean, already a long time ago, like a year ago, both uh, VDMA, the German Machine Builders Association, ZVE for, what are they, Electronics uh, Association, yeah. they both had their, uh, we've had them, in our podcast and you know they they could share their vision and opinions oh very much looking forward to so does but that is then now for for germany and is that then being fed up to the european level yeah, then, sure. or? yeah. the hearing and it will be fed up to the european level yeah. okay yeah. looking forward to it. and my third news is a rumor so we have one rumor in this uh, in this news. Um, SoftBank I strategic alliance between ARM and Samsung. Is, uh, this article is written by Anton Shilov and mm -hmm. um, Masayoshi Son flies. He, he wrote Masayoshi mm -hmm. flies to South Korea to discuss strategic ARM Samsung tie up. I'm looking forward to the trip. Son said through a SoftBank spokesperson, according to Bloomberg, mm -hmm. I want to discuss a strategic alliance from ARM with Samsung. So we have to be a little patient, but it's very interesting that we have a cooperation or a strategic alliance with, from ARM with Samsung. Mm, yeah, yeah, I 
I, I do not immediately understand. My brain doesn't immediately understand what that means. But we see so many. We have, you know, a European um, chip yeah. act, and then the United States has one, which really means, you know, chips need to be manufactured on American soil. I believe, right? And then we have Intel, you know, building two fabs, huge fabs in Dresden, and there's so much happening there, yeah, and they're all jockeying for and and rather keeping their arms around, you know, um, let's say their specific chip uh, capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I have one piece on silicon as well. So. Okay, so let's start. I look at uh, Gartner quickly. I saw an article news on AI from the 2022 Gartner hype cycle. Hype cycle, most of you know, is this graph that starts with an innovation trigger, then it goes to the peak of inflated expectations through the trough of disillusionment, and it moves on through the slope of enlightenment, plateau of productivity. I don't know who has ever come up with that from Gartner, but I think it's still a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that you can always look at. And then they look at probably, I have no idea, 20, 30, 50, or 100 you know, technologies, and they put all these things on that specific line. So what they say is they see their innovations, AI innovations in four categories. Number one is data centric. You know, that's uh, interesting. You know, I talked about it two weeks ago. That was, you remember, Andrew Wang's data centric um, approach. Still looking forward to if ever somebody hears, we would like Andrew to come and talk to us about his um, data centric approach. So that is no coincidence that Gartner is saying something similar. A sub part of that is the synthetic uh, data that is, you know, avoiding using personal identifiable information. We already did an interview with uh, Philip Sluzalek. Mm -hmm. You recall, German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence, DFKI. That's about a year ago. And I may be doing, I still need to meet with Ashish uh, Shandavarkar. He is from a Munich startup and they're called Synthetic Images. So if... You know, uh, we're probably going to meet for a coffee and um, it sounds interesting because it is likely going to be on the topic of synthetic images, I yes, guess, sure. if that's the name of their company is. Uh, number two uh, uh, is a model-centric AI. So despite of the, the shift to the data-centric, Gartner sees innovations in physics-informed AI, composite AI, causal AI, That's one that I've seen a lot, you know. It's always about, you know, relations, uh, causal or not. Generative AI, that's mm -hmm. all the, the DALI and what's happening sure. there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so that's where they see things. Number three, they talk about applications-centric AI. There's a lot of terms here. Model ops that we talked about, NLP, autonomous. So I'm not going to go into the details there. And then they have uh, the fourth category, human-centric AI. And uh, that includes AI trust risk. You know, that's what the hearing today is about, you know, because in the end, mm -hmm. the European AI Act is all about, you know, providing trustworthy AI. And there's a new acronym here. It's called TRISM. TRISM. And security. Was the T stand for not me neither? But here it is, the responsible AI. So for who wants to see the details, uh, you can find it at Gartner, I guess. Clients, of course, get all. and But sometimes they make these uh, available as well. I haven't read through the details yet. 
Uh, second one I have is that Europe's, uh, they say, fastest commercial AI data center. It's called uh, Alpha One. Not sure why they do that because, you know, we've had some alphas, you know, DeepMind. I'll come to DeepMind in a moment as well. But nevertheless, that's how they call it, Alpha One. It was officially launched. It's located in the Bayreuth mm-hmm. area, which, you know, most of us know for the yearly Wagner Festival. You have ever been there? No, I haven't been there, no. Okay. Uh, but, but I know from the fact that our former chancellor would always go there, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think she still goes there. Have you been there? No, no, I have never been you there. Been there but but I, no. I know that our guest, Frank Meyer from, from Lenze, the CTO okay. from Lenze, who visited us in, in October with uh, our event in ZEP, he is always there in, in, in Bayreuth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see each other next week, I believe, right? Yeah. We can ask him then. So yep. the private operator is this Alpha Layers GTS. They are a wholly owned subsidiary of Heidelberg AI startup Aleph Alpha. That's where the name comes from. I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly. Aleph PH. Um, they built the data center together with uh, HPE, Hewlett Packard uh, Enterprise, and NVIDIA. Financing comes entirely from German European investors. You know, that's untypical. Um, There is 512 NVIDIA A100 GPUs for those of you interested in the details, which gives the thing a max cluster performance of, I believe it's 7.625 petaflops, whatever, huge number. Uh, nevertheless, it uh, brings him not further than um, ranking uh, 72 in the list of top 500 fastest supercomputers. So some way to go, but nevertheless, I think we say congratulations to a great start for uh, such AI power to be accessible in European languages. That's one specific thing. And I quickly looked again to who is this uh, Alep Alpha Yes, it is a difficult name for me to pronounce. And they say on their website, which brings me then to my final topic, they want to be the leading European company researching and creating next generation strong artificial intelligence. That's your topic. Oh my yeah, that, God. That's your topic, Peter. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's bringing me to my final point. And um, you've probably seen it. I think every most people have seen it, but I haven't seen many people comment on it and i don't understand why because i say oh no not again artificial intelligence will likely destroy humans researchers say yeah i can't really hear it anymore but the problem is these researchers are not just anybody they are from google and they are from the university of oxford yes you know, specifically a deep mind Markus Hutter, I mm-hmm. think I've heard his name a couple of times before, and Oxford researchers uh, Michael Cohen and Michael A. Osborne. Yeah, I mean, it's the Markus Hutter. He's not, you know, we had a Hutter that we know as well from Ottermel, or do I mix yeah. up names? Yeah, it's Frank Hutter. That's Frank, right. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure if Marcus is a you know a family Brother? member or whatever. <laughs> now the point is what I do, what I do not grasp, and uh, dear deep mind boss dear demis hasabis i highly respect you i believe you if you're listening or if one of your colleagues is listening i believe you are one of the global let's say top five ai most knowledgeable persons that i know and i would like to know if you are aware of what your senior scientist has published 
And I would be very interested in, you know, if you could please share with us somewhere, you know, um, as, you know, in, in answer to the question by Peter from the Industrial AI podcast, to the, the long-standing question, because that's how it was put, of whether a super intelligent AI may go rogue and wipe out humans and assuming that in your case, it is not likely because that's what these researchers are, say right they say yes mm -hmm. you know likely and i if i see a thing like that and if you and i you know starting out with a podcast and there's hundreds thousands of us you know working with algorithms that you know sometime have been called you know ai machine learning and we do good things with them and we explain the community the people out there that you know have no idea of what it is then again come these researchers and say you know they're gonna destroy us at some point in time so that is that is not good i myself in all humbleness uh, i'm convinced that if humans are going to be wiped out it will be by humans and not by extraterrestrials or by any super ai but humans mm -hmm. uh, for which reason i am you know certain that we need to be not afraid of ai but we need to keep an eye on humans and for mm -hmm. that reason we do need to restrict and authorize ai applications and then we're back to the hearing that you talked about today sure. so yes uh, again i'm certain that at least we know from vdma from i believe set e less mm -hmm. that they were not happy with the classification yes. of machines for example yes. and i'm not saying that i do in detail i just say that at the level where you know things might go wrong i think it's very important that we do uh, deal with artificial intelligence as a technology similar to whatever you know uh, more than water or gas or electricity as you know andrew wing has been saying it's more like nu nuclear power i would say we have to uh, but then again again not please do not misunderstand me listeners um it's not saying that for that reason each and any application mm -hmm. that has machine learning in it you know is bad and that's not the point i'm trying to make here so you are the human centric ai evangelist or evangelist or preacher man i could also say yeah <laughs> maybe sometimes maybe. it's loud like a preacher man yeah yeah could be <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe i should become politician uh, the first minister of the <laughs> netherlands from bavaria yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Let's see. Thank you very much, Peter. Let's start with our uh, two guys from Zeiss. It was a pleasure to talk to you and uh, to all our listeners. Enjoy listening the the main part with machine learning in in the optical industry. I'm not a professional in this industry, but I listened to the episode and it was very interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting approach they take to yep. uh, improving their uh, overall uh, equipment efficiency. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Peter. Greetings to Munich. Thank you, Robert. See you soon and uh, cheers to our listeners. My guests today are Jens Bürgen. He is head of industry Fordado at Zeiss Vision Care and Kai Kümmel. He is the program manager data and analytics at Zeiss Group. And we will discuss today the very interesting sounding topic of Markov-based predictive quality analytics for mass lens production at Zeiss. Hello, Jens. Hello, Kai. Hello, Peter. Hi, and good morning, Peter. Thanks for having us. 
Yes, please tell our listeners, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do at Zeiss? Jens, maybe you want to start? Yes, sure. Um, I was working at as research associate at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology, where I was managing research and consulting projects in the area of Industry 4.0. And after it, I was joining Male, an automotive supplier, for optimizing the production of mechatronics components. And then I was also there managing in the Industry 4.0 program in the electronics and mechatronics business unit. After that, I joined SAIS, as you introduced me, as head of Industry 4.0, also managing the Industry 4.0 program and developing Industry 4.0 technologies at SAIS Vision Care um, across different departments in SAIS Vision Care and in cooperation with other colleagues and institutions at SAIS, like the SAIS Digital Partners, uh, where Kai is coming from. Very good. Kai? Yeah, thanks. So from my background, I'm a, a mathematician. I did my PhD in probability theory, and uh, I focused on the dynamic of random systems. After that, I applied it mainly for machine learning and data science, both in the financial and the industry sector. Um, and as already mentioned, now I'm in the shared function at SAIS, focusing on data and analytics, and there I'm a program manager. You you both mentioned uh, separate uh, divisions uh, that you have been or are working at. So maybe you want to give us a quick uh, company size introduction overview. Sure. Size as a company is operating in the fields of optics and optoelectronics and is structured in four segments. As part of the consumer market segment, Size Vision Care is one of the world's leading manufacturers of eyeglass lenses and of thermic instruments. And uh, Kai, you could say something to s about ZDP? Sure, yeah. Um, ZDP, or Zeiss Digital Partners, is a, a shared function, as I mentioned, focusing mainly on digitalization as a whole and has one focus area in the field of data and analytics. And this is the division I'm working in. Okay, and the topic we talk about today sits within the size vision care and with the support of UKI within the size digital partners, right? That's correct. Right. Well, today's uh, topic is uh, Markov-based predictive quality analytics for mass lens production at size. So let's start with a short introduction and maybe best from the end. Jens, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about lens production. So uh, what kind of lenses are we talking about and how are they being produced? We're talking about eyeglass lenses, um, size vision care, for which I am working and where this business case uh, comes from, um, sells about 120 million lenses per year, serving 60 million customers. Uh, our production is organized globally with more than 200 locations and more than 10,000 employees. And as you can imagine, to produce such a high number of lenses every year, our production is mass production, which is highly automated, but producing individualized eyeglass lenses. How can we do this? We use uh, freeform technology to surface the backside of each lens. And this freeform technology was developed by SAIS and introduced in the year of 2000. With this technology, we can create the optical characteristics optimized for the prescription of each individual customer. Okay, we're not going to go into the details of the free form, but I may assume that you probably have a patent around that kind of technology. Yes, exactly. 
Okay, so um, as as we're going to be talking about further improving quality, uh, let's first look at how you have been uh, measuring quality until today. Internally, we measure the yield of our production, but in the end, we want to deliver high-quality lenses within a short delivery time, meaning only good lenses are delivered to customers. But of course, internally, and that's why we measure the yield, defect cannot be 100% avoided, and that's why we have to work on this topic um, because defects means um, that we have to often scrap the lenses which are defect and we have to restart the order again, which has a negative impact on our cost because you need to scrap the lens and a negative impact on the delivery time. Right. We've we've talked about, um, you know, approving OEE, overall equipment uh, effectiveness for a couple of times. And, you know, we're not going to talk about the exact number here that is completely, um, you know, uh, not not important. Uh, although, of course, everybody is always interested to know what number the other companies have. But I've made the statement a couple of times that, you know, if we don't make sure that we improve our OEE, let's say, towards, you know, 90x plus somewhere towards the direction of 100%, then it's uh, almost like useless to to start doing data science or artificial intelligence because, you know, we will always come back to the problem of too high scrap. So, um, and now you want to further improve your OEE uh, through Markov. Now, we have learned about many different approaches in the last years, uh, you know, about doing uh, quality improvement, improvement of OEE, but we have not heard yet about the Markov chain. So please chain, uh, what is Markov? Tell us a little bit about your development environment, maybe in relation to Markov, what is the kind of data, what is the kind of training, uh, etc. Kai, can you do that? Of course, yes. So generally speaking, Markov chains describe an approach which you can use to model a process that is under the influence of random perturbations. So let's assume you have an object and this object can be in different states. And now you're interested in when is it maybe in a in state that is intact or maybe when it is in a state that means defect in the most easiest way. Um, and in Markov chains, holds a key assumption of being memoryless, which means that when you want to describe the dynamics or the probability of being in a certain state tomorrow, it only depends on the state where you are right now in the present. And what you do not need to map the future is you, you're not interested in the past. So you don't, you're not interested in which states you were in before, before you reached the state as of today, but you're interested in where you are right now. And this is all information that you need to model your future states that you can be in and the dynamic the distributions you are in the future. And then this key assumption makes it rather easy to apply. So this was one, of course, one reason we, we selected Markov chains. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's rather easy to apply as you are mainly using information from the current state for your future. Mm -hmm. But although it, it sounds rather simple, it still can provide really strong insights on how your process is working, how your process is moving and which states you are in most often. Okay. We don't want to go into too much detail, but I'm, I'm just interested in, you know, you have, together with colleagues, I guess, or you by yourself, decided that you're going to go for the Markov change out of a range 
of different approaches. And so do our listeners, you know, when they're dealing, you know, with their situations. Can you share, you know, one specific uh, reason why, I mean, in general, I can assume, you know, people, you know, come from a specific area, you studied um, uh, mathematics, maybe that was your favorite topic, or there's a reason, you know, from within the team, or what, what can you, maybe you cannot, and that's okay as well, but can you share maybe one specific reason why in this specific case, or maybe in general, you know, you like to use Markov chains? Well, I, I do like many different model approaches. So I just like modeling processes. Um, in this case, often it, it turns out that not the most complex modeling approach is the one that, that provides the most benefits. Very good. Um, in this specific case, it was, it was quite some, some work to put all information, put all the data that we need in one place in the right structure and the right quality. There is some, when you're working with data, of course, sometimes there are some inconsistencies that you you come along when you use them and as this was one of the first ideas we, we had a lot of time to to put the data in the right place in the right structure mm -hmm. to understand the data properly and then we put markov chains on top and they were able to basically answer many of our questions mm -hmm. still being a rather a rather um, well understood and, and rather handsome approach and as you might hear a bit later when when, when we, we give our talk on the on the conference, there, there are specific questions we wanted to ask and uh, Markov chains were really capable of, of answering them, but we needed to slice them in the right way. So it's not that you can say, I have a bunch of questions and Markov chains are the answer to all of them. You have okay. a bunch of questions and then you focus on some, some of them. It, it turned out that Markov chains are really capable for, for the most important questions for us. However, there, there, there are some other questions where we might need to switch to approach eventually But as of now, uh, we, are, we are, I think, quite happy to, to select the doors and use them so far. And on a side note, maybe they are really well studied. So it, it's, honestly speaking, they are really well-established frameworks and packages available. So in your day-by-day -day life, um, it's, it's, it's making your life much easier when you can rely on, on established packages as we did in Python, for instance. Uh, sounds very good. I mean, I like your approach, you know, first ask your questions or <laughs> be sure that you know your questions and, and then choose your uh, approach rather than, as you said, it doesn't always have to be the most complex. We do not always need, you know, deep reinforcement learning or any wonderful thing, again, without any uh, giving any, you know, complexity or reason for one or the other. Uh, Jens, maybe you can uh, you can add some information about the data used for feeding the Markov chains. So the data used is data which is generated in our production system, and we yeah thought the Markov chain would be helpful to analyze this data together with uh, size digital partners to use each process step in our production line uh, mapped as uh, state in the Markov chain to see whether the lenses which are scrapped, so where the defects are detected in the chain, in the process flow, in the process steps, and to see where these deviations occur from the standard process flow. So where the lenses are um, taken out from the usual production flow and are restarted because of defects, and to see for different defects the different process flows in the Markov chain. 
Very good. We're not going to go into more details here. Uh, Kai, you already referred to the presentation. You, two of you, uh, will be doing, uh, I guess, later on uh, in uh, this month. We'll come to that later in uh, in Berlin. For the moment, uh, let's talk a little bit about your team. How many are you? What do they do? Are you looking for colleagues to join the team? And if so, what should they um, bring to the team? My team, uh, the Indus, uh, Industry 4.0 Development at Size Vision Care, we are five colleagues, including myself. We are working on collecting data, uh, connecting machines to collect the data, also on traceability to trace each individual lens through the production even better and automate also our inspection of the lenses with artificial intelligence. And then, of course, finally, but not least, analyzing the data we have collected, um, bringing our production to a new level. Um, as I explained in the example before, to improve our quality. And yes, of course, we are looking for new colleagues, especially in this field with background in quality management and data analytics. Very good, Kai. Yeah, of course, also on the corporate data analytics side, we are looking for, for more colleagues to join. There are like positions like data engineers, data architects, also experts for machine learning, as well as data governance. As you might imagine, there's a lot of work still ahead of us and we are still looking to grow very good uh maybe you want to quickly say both jens and kai what what does that mean where would people if they would be interested in hearing what it is that both of you are working on where where would they be based yes in your team or kai in your team so in my team, we are all based at in Aln, in our lab in Aln. It is a global lead lab for eyeglass lenses production. And yeah, we would be based here together. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we, we do have colleagues in, in different locations. Okay. There, some colleagues are in Munich, as I am. Uh, some colleagues are in our head, uh, headquarter in Oberkochen. And this is, this is where, where most of the team is located. Okay, coming to a close, where do you see developments regarding uh, AI uh, data science, technically or organizationally? Yeah, maybe I can start. So I think there was a really good improvement in, in how to think about data when there was much more emphasis or there is much more emphasis on data quality and accessibility than I think it was there like 10 years before. So data is more considered as an asset. And uh, by doing so, there is an understanding that it requires time, it requires work, it's, it's, it requires an invest into the data, the, the way you gather data, the way you maintain data to make sure that you can have a sustainable use of data later on. And I think this is this is really good. And from us in the size vision care explicitly, our vision is to, in this topic, uh, achieve a closed loop quality control, meaning that we can control our production even better based on data in order to avoid the scrap and reduce delivery time to our customers. Um, when using the data to better understand our production, to be better predicting our production, and to have this closed loop to autonomously control our production based on data. Um, so using information we gather on the shop floor related to optical characteristics. So the process parameters, the quality inspections data related to the optical characteristics and use that data to make better decision autonomously in our shop floor to achieve our targets. Great, Jens, Kai, thank you very much. 
uh, listeners that want to get in touch with you, we already mentioned, you know, maybe uh, they would be interested in, in joining you or they have the one or the other question. We'll get to the uh, presentation in a moment. Uh, but listeners can uh, can best contact you by LinkedIn. Uh, both of you have a, a German U with two dots on it in your family name. I'll spell it out. So Kai Kümmel, you'll find on LinkedIn as K-A-I. And then Kümmel is K-U-E-M-M-E-L. And for Jens, uh, J-E-N-S, uh, Bürgin, it goes like B-U-E-R-G-I-N, Kai Kümmel and Jens Bürgin. Yeah, and as we mentioned, both of you will be presenting live at the Predictive Analytics World Industry 4.0. That is October 5th and 6th in Berlin. And uh, listeners who uh, want to experience you live, maybe talk to you on site, ask you questions on site, uh, we very much look forward to welcoming you there. We'll put the URL in the uh, podcast notes as well. Otherwise, if you, dear listeners, have any questions or comments, as always, uh, please, you know, send me a mail or contact me at LinkedIn as well, Peter Seberg. Uh, I'm glad you've stayed with us so far. Looking forward to have you with us next time. Jens Kai, thank you again and looking forward to be meeting you and seeing you in Berlin. Thanks from our side, Peter. Thanks a lot. Bye.